Acts chapter number 12 tonight. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. Now, the Word of God says this, Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. And Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers uh, before the door kept the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did, and he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel." hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. They said unto her, Thou art mad, but she constantly affirmed that it was so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. Now, look back with me at verse 5 and we'll look at verse 12 as well. The Bible says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, what kind of prayer was that? Well, verse 12 says, When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Let's go ahead and pray together tonight. Lord, we do thank you for this time. We do thank you for the privilege to be in your house. Now, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truths of your Scripture, that you would apply them to our hearts and to our souls. And Father, that we would yield ourselves to the working of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would gain glory out of this service tonight. Father, that Jesus Christ would be lifted up and magnified. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Acts chapter 12, I think anybody that is scripturally honest as they read it and academically honest would say that Acts chapter 12 is a chapter that's about prayer. But let me say that Acts chapter 12 is about much more than just prayer because it gives us a strong example in Scripture for what we might call corporate prayer. 
Now, when we say corporate prayer, that's not praying for your favorite Fortune 500 company. Amen? But corporate prayer is God's people deliberately and in an organized manner banding together to pray about a distinct matter and pray for a distinct outcome. The Bible tells us this, that Herod had cast Peter into prison. He had already killed James. Peter was kept in prison. The church could have done a lot of things, I suppose. They could have tried to have, uh, to, to have uh, inserted appeals and, and uh, instituted uh, protests. And, uh, you know, they, they, I guess they could have said apostles' lives matter and things like that, I suppose. But they did not do that. Instead, what do we find that they did? Their first, not their last, but their first recourse was that of prayer. You hear people say sometimes, and I've sort of joked about it before, but I've heard, I've read church signs that said things like this, said that when all else fails, try prayer. And uh, it's no wonder we don't see many prayers answered with that sort of attitude and that sort of theology. No, my friend, not when everything else fails, try prayer. Before you've ever tried anything else, pray and seek the face of an Almighty God. Great things are wrought by prayer, things that this world could never reckon. Faith is, uh, or prayer is one of the most humbling, one of the most uh, Christ-centered and non-self-centered activities that we can engage in. It is an activity wholly of faith. Have you ever thought about that? A lot of things we do that are not wholly of faith, but prayer is a matter of complete and total faith. We pray to a God that we cannot see. We wait for an answer that we probably won't hear, but we will see. Uh, we've no, not a single one of us has ascended up into the heavens except he that descended down from the heavens. I've never been into God's throne room in a literal sense. I've certainly been there uh, in the sense of prayer and things like that, but I've never been there in a literal sense. Couldn't tell you what God's throne room looks like beyond just the description that's given to us in the Word of God. But if I read my Bible correctly, and I believe I do, and if I believe my Bible then I know with utter confidence that there is a throne room and there is an Almighty God. And not only is there a throne room and an Almighty God, but there is a mighty intercessor that is seated at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ the righteous. I believe that there's one that stands at the right hand of God to hear my prayers and make them fit for the ears of an Almighty God. Prayer is a matter of complete and total faith. And prayer is also an admission of inability. When we pray, we're admitting to God that we're incapable. One of the most hypocritical things we can do is is pray, and when we enter into the prayer room, not ask God for His help. Because we're coming in to stand on formality rather than to kneel and to plead for help. You'd be a lot better just go ahead and plead with God for the help that you need. Rather than coming in telling the Lord all the things you're going to try and all the things you're capable of and how great a person you are, you get a lot farther in the prayer closet if you just came in and did what prayer is designed to do. Come in and say, Lord, I'm helpless. Lord, I believe, but help mine unbelief. Lord, I cannot do that which needs to be done. And I must have help from heaven. And so it's with this attitude that the church bands together. They could have done some other things, I suppose, but they did not. Instead, they went to the main thing, let it be the first thing, and they prayed. They were acknowledging that human instrumentality could not achieve that which needed to be done, but they had to have divine intervention for that which needed to be done to take place. So I want us to look at this passage tonight. I want to show you four things that I believe can happen when God's people pray. I believe as we face this next week, I told you to forget about camp this morning when I preach. Well, tonight I want you to think about camp. Because as we preach on prayer, these are four things that I'm looking for God to do in our camp over this next week. 
and four things I believe God can do in your life and in your loved one's life, but I think it'll take prayer. Amen? I want you to notice, first off, that the adversary can be overcome. Look what it says in the first four verses. The Bible says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Now, if you've read your Bible any length of time, you know that there are several Herods in the Bible. You know that the Herods that are in the Bible seem to be the persistent persecutors of those that called themselves Christians. Very interesting, uh, because the Bible gives prophecies saying that Satan would constantly be waiting to snatch up that promised seed uh, of the Messiah. And you find this pattern all the way through the Bible. You remember probably uh, most explicitly in Egypt when uh, the Pharaoh in the book of Exodus decided that he was going to stomp out the Israelites, and uh, he told the midwives that whenever a son was born, to take that son and cast it into the Nile and take it and kill it. What was Satan trying to do? Now, I know what the Pharaoh was trying to do. The Pharaoh was trying to extinguish the Jewish nation because he was afraid of But what was Satan trying to do? Satan was trying to extinguish and annihilate the Jewish race to prevent the Messiah from being born. You find, in fact, and I'm not going to go through every example I could, but you go through the Old Testament, you'll find time and time again that Satan tried to stick a monkey wrench in God's redemptive plan. But in stark parallel to that, we find in the New Testament that Herod did the very same thing. Herod, of course, and you know, I mean, it ain't Christmas time, but you've heard it preached on, how that Herod, when he heard that the king of the Jews was to be born, uh, and uh, or had been born, that that uh, he determined that every child under two years old, every male child under two years old in that part of the world would be taken and would be killed, and how that Joseph uh, took Mary and took Jesus and fled down into Egypt. You know, God served and protected his son. That was the granddaddy of the Herod that is set in front of us right here. Uh, and you find all the way through the Bible, uh, through the Gospels, that these Herods were consistent and constant persecutors. Christians. Well, can I remind you tonight that you and I, we have a persecutor as well. We have an adversary. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Bible teaches that whether you like it or not, you have an adversary. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you have an adversary. In fact, you know how Peter says it? Peter says, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, he's not saying if you're not sober and if you're not vigilant, you won't have an adversary. Rather, he's saying, listen, friend, you've got an adversary either way, so you better get sober and you better get vigilant about this thing. You're in a spiritual battle. Satan has your number. He has a desire to destroy your life, to destroy your family's life, to destroy your children's life. There is an adversary. There is an enemy. He's cunning. He's subtle. He's more subtle than any beast of the field. And he's got plans for you. One of the greatest misnomers that Christians believe is that only God has a will for your life. You know, Satan has a will for your life too. He wants to see it accomplished in your life and in your family's life. Anybody that doesn't recognize that, if they've heard the truth about it and refuse it, they're willingly ignorant. Because the Bible is abundantly clear that we are in a spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. I know we've let the charismatics hijack that term, but we're still in spiritual warfare. We are absolutely, there is a spiritual battle raging at all times. One of the things that would astound you sometime is to watch a church service from this side of the pulpit and see what Satan tries to do in the midst of it. Let me say this, that the people that need it the most are usually those paying the least attention. Those who need it the most are the ones whom Satan is circling around them, trying to distract and discourage them from listening and from gaining truth in a message. 
as we go up to camp this week, I, I was telling somebody, I guess I was telling Brother Brian this morning uh, before church started that, you know, camp is always unusually exhausting. And uh, not just because it's hot, not just because you're walling with the kids and everything. But I told them, I said, from where I stand, I usually don't watch any kids. I usually just focus on, on preaching and then trying to help organize and things like that. But, but from where I stand, you know, the workers, uh, they're just busy, 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 busy. I mean, from the moment that they set foot in that park to the moment that they go home and collapse in exhaustion and coma on their bed, they're just busy, busy, busy. And uh, with that, they're just trying to survive. They're just living, man. I mean, they're just going from moment to moment. But in my position, where I'm not in the thick of things in that respect, oftentimes I watch from the outside. And you can see, it's almost like Satan picks him somebody out every year and just decides that's going to be the person he's going to use. And you can see it move through the camp. And, I, and I'm not being mystical, and I'm not being spooky, and I'm not being sensationalist. I mean, you can watch the, the influence and the battle raging from person to person. Everybody deals with their own little things, but it seems as though there will be a wave of it that will pass through the workers. You better believe. Hey, listen, call me a lunatic if you want, but you better believe there's a battle taking place. Satan is warring for our souls and for our lives. That's what this is about over this next week. I mean, you think that's just what we want to do? No, it's a battle. And this thing's been scheduled for a year now. Satan's known the dates. He's been getting his army ready. Has our army been getting ready? What about you say, oh, yeah, yeah, God bless the workers. What about this army? You been getting ready? We've got a week of camp starting tomorrow. Have you been getting ready? Is your sword sharpened up? Is your prayer life ready? Because this thing is the real deal. It's the real deal. Herod had a plan for Peter. We could go through, we could read a lot of things. The Bible says he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. You say, what do you think about that? Well, I think it says exactly what it ought to say. Amen. Verse number 5 says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. Now, notice this. I like this. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Let me tell you something. In this spiritual battle that we're in, the greatest weapon that we have is that of prayer. Uh, there's a lot of things that it really don't bother Satan that much for you to do. I'm just being honest with you. Uh, if you come into church with a bad spirit and with a stiff neck and with deaf ears, that don't bother Satan that much just for you to come to church. You open your Bible just out of duty and obligation just because, hey, it's that time of the day. That don't bother Satan that much. Let me tell you something. You get your heart where it needs to be and you get on praying ground and you spend some time with an almighty God, that gets him awful upset. That's the only means, that's the only avenue of thwarting the satanic influence and the satanic devices and plan that he would seek to inflict upon our lives. So we see first off that the adversary can be overcome. And he was overcome, wasn't he? Satan had plans for Peter, right? Oh man, I don't know if you're asleep or if I'm asleep, but one of us is asleep. He had a plan for Peter, right? Did that plan go through? No. You see, only through prayer can the adversary be overcome. Then notice number two. Look at verse number six. The Bible says this, And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. 
And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell from off his hands. I want you to notice first off that the adversary can be overcome, but I want to notice secondly that that which binds can be broken. Uh, with that, and, I, and I'm going to make a little ap- application here. I hope that's okay. I understand Peter was a saved man. I understand that there is certainly an application to the things that bind us in our life. But let me say that as we approach camp next week, but not just approaching camp, think for a moment of your loved ones, those that you care for, those that you care about, those that you've been praying for, those that you've been seeking their salvation. You ever witnessed to someone and it was almost like they couldn't understand? You ever witnessed to someone, it was like there was a a brick wall in between you and them? Well, listen to what the Bible says about lost food. you know that the Bible says this? Speaking of lost people, it says, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded their eyes from the glorious light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ." I don't know if you're aware of this, but the lost man is, is blind and bound. He's got to be released from that. Now, you say, what do you mean, preacher? What can do that? Well, let me say first off that the Word of God is necessary. That must take place. But there's lots of folks that know the Word of God. Some of them know it better than you and I. And they're still lost in their sins. You say, what can affect them? What can change something in their life? Well, I believe prayer can. I know there's some. I remember hearing a preacher say one time, he said that somebody had told him that, uh, you know, there's no example of praying for the lost in the Bible. And he said, well, that sounds real good. The only problem is it just isn't true. just isn't true. Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. He wasn't talking about saved politically. He wasn't talking about saved economically. He wasn't talking about saved uh, socially. He was talking about saved individually, personal soul salvation. I believe it's right to pray for the lost to be saved. You say, what about their free will, preacher? Well, what about your free will? You think God's not sovereign? Uh, You say, oh, but preacher, but, you know, there's a choice. Well, there is a choice. I understand that. But listen now, God's so sovereign, He's not afraid of your free will. Oh, boy, I, I don't know. He's so sovereign, He's not afraid of your... He's so in control, He'll let you make decisions. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get nervous now. There's nothing wrong with that. He's so in control that there's nothing you can do to make Him out of control. He's in control. You say, well, well, why do we pray? Well, we pray so that we can affect things. You say, but I thought He was in control. Well, He is in control. You say, but I thought He had a will. Well, He does have a will. You say, how do you reconcile all that? I don't. When I need to, I just pray. Amen? I have learned this, prayer is the means of God's sovereignty. It's the channel and means through which He exercises His divine will. And He does so, not contrary to the free will choices of mankind, but rather in accord with the free will choices of mankind. That's a mystery that only the God of heaven could exercise, but He's able to, amen? He's the author and He's the finisher of our faith. He knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. You see, you know what our problem is. We can't fathom it because we're inside of time. But He's not inside of time. He is time. He's all through time. He inhabits eternity. And so don't try to see it the way God sees it. You'll never see it the way God sees it. Just do what God's told you to do. Amen? They're bound and they need to be freed. 
All through the Word of God, you'll find the word bondage in association with the word sin. And sin is bondage. The lost man can't understand it because he wants to live in sin. But one day he'll wake up and and try to be done with sin and realize he can't be done with it. Because he's in bondage. He can only do that which he knows to do. But if the Son hath made you free, you're free indeed. And you can choose and you can do what you wish to do. You say, what should we wish to do? We should wish to be obedient to Christ. He must be set free. His eyes must be open. His mind must be enlightened. I believe prayer can accomplish that. You say, what about his choice? He'll make his choice. Every time you see Christ in the Gospels, you know what you'll find? You'll find that he always brought men to a place of decision. Some of those men, like the rich young ruler, turned and walked away. Others, like scores in the Gospels and like untold hundreds of thousands outside of the Gospels, chose to accept Christ. But he brought them to a place of decision where they must be faced with their reality and with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what prayer can do. Prayer can bring a sinner face to face with Christ and make them realize and know that they're a sinner. Let me tell you something. There's a difference between knowing you're a sinner and knowing you're a sinner. You know what I mean? It's Sunday night. I'm not up here in front of a stadium. You know what I mean. There's a difference between knowing that you're a sinner and knowing that you're a sinner. Everybody knows they're a sinner. You ask them, you say, have you sinned? Well, sure, I've sinned. Are you sorry about it? Well, no, why should I be? You see, they they know that they're a sinner. but They don't know that they're a sinner. To truly know and to comprehend and to apprehend that truth is the day that the Spirit of God makes real to you that you are at aught with a holy God. And only the Spirit of God and the Word of God can do that. And I believe that prayer is a channel and means of liberty for the working of the Spirit and Word of God. I believe things that are bound here can be broken and can be unbound. Then I want you to notice a third thing tonight. Look down at verse number 11. I've always thought this was funny. Uh, It's okay. Don't ever laugh at your Bible, but sometimes you can laugh with it. Amen? And this is sort of funny. It says, And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood Before the gate. Ain't that funny? You can imagine how strange Peter must have felt. This man is a fugitive. You understand that, right? I mean, you know, any prisoner or any soldier that walks around the corner might just haul him off in shackles. And there he stands like a fool, knocking on the door while she runs through the house, a squealing that Peter's at the door. And she runs in, and now this is interesting. Now, I know we'd all be real judgmental of this, but we'd probably be worse. It says this, And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. 
But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Let me say that first off, the adversary can be overcome through prayer. Let me say secondly, that that which binds can be broken through prayer. But let me say that number three, those that fear can gain faith through prayer. You know, you'd be amazed sometime if you just sit down and take inventory of all the prayers God's answered in your life. If you're a praying person, you'd be astonished to find out all the things that God has done in your life. Here they've gathered together for prayer. And uh, they've determined that they as a group are going to pray for God to intervene and for Peter to be let loose. I don't know if it was at a point where things just got kind of low. I don't know if it was at a point where things were, I mean, just real high. But at some point in the evening, uh, Peter comes to the door and knocks, and the little girl Rhoda runs in and says, Peter's at the door, and they say this, You're crazy. Now, there's a lot of questions we might have about their prayer life at that point. But we do understand this. That though there was faith exercised, because the Bible's very, very particular to tell us that it was in response to their prayer that God answered. So we know, and it's the prayer of faith, amen? So we know that there was some faith. But we know that mingled in with that faith must have been some fear. They even said this. They, she kept saying, no, you're crazy. That's, that's, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. Peter's there. And they said, it's his angel as if there was some kind of precedent for that. You see, the reality is they feared the worst, as most of us do. But you know what? People that don't pray, don't pray. People that don't pray, they don't pray. People that do pray, they do pray. Can I put it this way? Most people that don't pray never see any reason to pray. But if you'll start praying, you'd be amazed how powerful and valuable prayer really is. I used to, and, I, and I'm on, confession's good for the soul. I'm going to be honest with you now. I don't do it like I used to. But I think it's a good thing to keep a prayer journal. You say, what's a prayer journal? Well, it can be anything. It can be a scrap of paper, a notebook. You can go out and get one of them $150 leather journals. I don't care what you do, but it's a place where you mark down what you're praying for. What you're praying for. I believe that's a good thing. You say, give me chapter and verse. Well, I can't. But I found it to be beneficial in my life. To sit down and to write out what you're praying for and the day that you started praying. And then when God answers that prayer, to write down that God answered it when He answered it and how He did. You'd be amazed the things God does in your life that you never even thank Him for, that you never even realize. And we wonder why our faith is weak. Well, the Lord said this in the book of Malachi, Prove me. Try me. Try me. You know, half the time we want to raise the white flag on our prayer life before we've ever even uttered the first prayer. The only prayers that don't get any answer are the ones that are never prayed. We must pray. But if we will pray, we'll find this, that prayer has a means of increasing our faith. And causing us and giving us... You know what I like the book of Hebrews says about Sarah? We don't think a lot of good things about Sarah. But the Bible has a lot of good things to say about Sarah. 
If you'll read carefully, you'll find a lot of them. And you know one of them that I really like in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11? I've kind of mentioned it a few times here over the past few weeks. But the Bible says this, that she counted him, speaking of God, counted him faithful who promised. You know what that means? That means Sarah took a moment and thought about God's track record. She took a few minutes and considered all the things that God had promised and all the promises God had kept. Can I just tell you something? God's been, God's been answering prayers and keeping promises since the, since the clock began to run. And you think He's going to break His promise for you. God's not going to do that. Don't think so much of yourself. He's not going to, I mean, listen, He's not going to blow His record on you. You see, if we just sit and think about it, I bet we'd count Him faithful too. I bet if we just stopped and thought about all the times that we cried out to God, maybe in a hospital bed, maybe in an ER waiting room, maybe as we sat there looking at bills that we could never make, maybe as we prayed over a wayward child, we saw God swoop in and rescue and make a way and intervene. If we just sit there and consider all those things, we might count Him faithful too. We might count Him faithful too. So we see that prayer has a means of making those that fear gain faith. And then finally, I want you to notice one final thing, and it's sort of short, and I'll hush after that. But look at verse number 18. The Bible says this, Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought him for him, and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he, Herod, went down from Judea to Caesarea in their abode. Let me say that through prayer the adversary can be overcome. And through prayer that which binds can be broken. And through prayer those that fear can gain faith. But let me say that through prayer those that hate can be humbled. You know, as you consider the, I can't remember what they call them, the Psalms where David's mad at the world and praying for his enemies to die. Imprecatory, I think is what they call it. There's some big, long, fancy theological term for it. I can't remember. But there's a whole grouping of Psalms in which God, David is praying for God to smite his enemies. You know what I found? I found this to be true, that vengeance belongeth to the Lord, and He'll repay. Every year when camp rolls around, and I'll give this short illustration, I'll be done. Every year when camp rolls around, there's a lot of critics. There's a lot more critics than there are workers. Amen? If we had as many critics or as many workers as we have critics, we could put on a camp every week and never use the same workers. There's always plenty of critics. And there's always people that say things like this. Well... That's just camp religion. You've heard them say that. And what they mean is this. They mean it won't last. Well, no, it probably won't last with a bunch of backslidden, sour church members that couldn't feel God if He was sitting on top of them, uh, criticizing and discouraging and running around with a wet blanket to throw on a bunch of young people that have got on fire for God. No, it probably won't last very long in that environment. But really, even more than, than a few sour folks, let me say that a lot of times we deal with it with parents. Parents. Parents, a lot of times, 
they like camp leading up to camp because it's I'm I'm gonna do my I'm not trying to be ugly, but they like it because it's free babysitting, thirty five bucks. We know that that's not lost on us. You say, well, what are you doing? We're throwing out the lifeline. That's what we're doing. We know what we're doing. Thirty five bucks. I mean, my goodness, you can't get an hour of babysitting for thirty five dollars, let alone a whole week. And parents, they're real excited about camp before camp. It's after camp that they start getting a little critical sometimes. Because kids start coming back home and saying, you know, why do you drink the things you drink? Why do you dress the way you dress? How come we don't go to church on Sundays? Why do you watch the things that you watch? And then all of a sudden, they turn into critics. And they start saying things like, well, it's, your not, it's not your place. Or, well, a lot of the things that you hear up there are not true. Or, well, you know, it's just like that one week out of a year and so on. Just people that have hatred, you understand. Let me say this, that through prayer, those people can be one. They can be humbled and they can be one. <laughs> I'd imagine what it must sounded like that day after, afterwards in the prison. Probably the blame game, if I had to guess. They might have looked and said, Roy, it was your job to watch him. You were chained to him. Might have said, well, Bill, you changed the other side. How come you didn't hear him when he left? And the keeper of the prison comes in and says, well, my life's on the line, boys. If Herod finds out about this, you see, the truth of the matter is, when God answers prayer, that means something in this world. That means something. It means something when God answers prayer in this world. For miraculous things, and I believe in, I believe miraculous things happen all the time. Let me tell you something. I mean, just some of the people I've seen saved, there's miracles. There's miracles. And I believe prayer can accomplish that. You know, we, we spend a lot of time fussing at folks we ought to just pray for. Fussing at folks we ought to just pray for. Because the truth is, they ain't going to listen to anything about God, but God will probably listen to everything about them. And if we'll just go to the Lord, we might find out that's a lot more profitable. And those that are hard to win... In fact, there was one one time that was brought to the Lord. And, uh, and the disciples, they had tried to cast the devil out of this young man who was taken with an evil spirit and he was cast into the water and into the fire over and over again. And his, his parents were in despair. And they came to the Lord and they said, Lord, what can you do? And he cast that devil out of that boy. And afterwards, the disciples come and they say, Lord, why couldn't we do that? And he said this. He said, this kind. Not just any kind. He said, this kind. What does he mean? He means the hard cases. He says, this kind cometh forth only by prayer and fasting. It tells me this. Prayer has more power than preaching has. I'm a preacher. I love preaching. Prayer is more important than preaching. In fact, prayer is the only thing more important than preaching. Prayer is the only thing more powerful than preaching. Preaching without prayer is useless. But praying without preaching can still do a whole lot. You say, I'm not a preacher. No, but you can be a prayer. 
Say, Brother Toby, I, I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I, I, I don't have that, that platform or I don't have that gift or I don't have that ability. You may not have any of those things, but guess what? There's not a one of God's children that He left without the most important weapon that we have in this spiritual battle, and that's prayer. Everybody can pray. Everybody can pray. Prayer has the means to conquer, the means to conquer those. That cannot be conquered otherwise. So here's a question I have for you tonight. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me over this next week? You can start tonight. But would you pray with me over this next week? I'm not asking you to pray for the rest of your life, for our camp or for this, that, or the other. But I'm asking you to pray for this week. Would you pray this week? I hope that you will. And I hope that you'll find in that prayer. You know what you'll find? If you'll pray, you'll have more reason to pray. I believe it can revolutionize your prayer life. Most people don't spend three minutes in prayer a day outside of praying over meals. You'd be amazed. You don't have to give a lot of time. You'd be amazed if you give 15 minutes a day to prayer and nothing but prayer. You'd be amazed what God can do with that. Would you pray with me this 